This is the Zero to Hear podcast. Welcome back, producer Carl. What's going on? Not much, Danny. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, I'm your host, Danny Duma. I uh, wanted to start every podcast moving forward with some information about Carl because most people don't know anything about him. Oh, God. So, Jordan, we're going to get there and you feel free to ask Carl a question. No, this is good. I mean, we just met, so this will be exciting for me too. Yeah. So, we're adding a new segment called Get to Know Producer Carl. First question, let's go. (laughs) So, I I think I'm just going to throw out a random fact that I know about you first and then ask you a question each show. Random fact about Carl, number one, he's 6'8". Question for Carl. Were you watching the uh, March Madness tournament over the weekend? Uh, a little bit here and there. Try to as much as I can. Prediction for the winner. The Sweet 16 is set. Pr- who's going to win? I have to say Duke. Ouch. It hurts me a little, I know, but they're so good. Are you a Duke hater too? Oh, yeah. So many I of those. I grew up like when Jordan was really good. Yeah. And so I was a big Jordan fan and everything Jordan, obviously North Carolina. Totally. And so I just passionately, or passionately hate Duke. Where did he went to North Carolina? Also, North Carolina. I wasn't really a big fan of his. Really? Are you a big basketball guy? Huge. Yes. Were you watching over the weekend? <laughs> Lots. Comments. Um, Duke should have lost yesterday. That was a wicked. So game. many opportunities, yeah. man. I like was. That was so painful to watch that ball not go in the hoop. And even if you watch the after game interview, Coach K even said like, "Yeah, we should have lost that game." Even with like a minute and a half left, the UCF had a two on one breakaway totally. and missed an alley. Yeah, yeah. And that would have put them up sick. Yeah, and probably be done. Yeah, that's uh, March Madness for you, I guess. Right? Anything can happen. My brackets just—it's a bloodbath. <laughs> it's a bloodbath. It's just, there's so much red. I'm actually in this uh, work pool and I'm dead last out of like 130 people dead because <laughs> I picked some, you know, like skeptical things. If it like that would have been brilliant if they worked out, but they didn't. Uh, and there were quite a bit of like like high seeds, upsetting low seeds. Like I think three of the four 12s beat the fives, which is pretty common, though. Pretty common, but I picked the other 12. Like okay. I, I, I didn't pick the right 12. Who do you have um, to win? I have North Carolina. North Carolina. But uh, Kansas, uh, the Jayhawks are my team. Um, I grew up loving them because uh, I actually had two cousins that went to the University of Kansas on rowing scholarships. Cool. Okay. And they were a bit older than me. So when I got into college basketball, they were there. Uh, and they had sent me a couple t-shirts and stuff. So I always just ended up loving them. And they've been really good under Bill Self. And they won that championship in, I don't know, early 2000s, I think, when Chalmers hit that late three to, oh, yeah. to seal it, uh, which was awesome. So yeah, huge March Madness guy. Always do different brackets and pools and stuff like that. I think it's one of the best, if not the best tournaments in the world. It's um, got to be. Uh, for me, it's the best. Uh, uh, let's say top two with the Masters. Yeah, sure. Okay. If you feel golf, hard to I beat. didn't think about that. I was just thinking solely from like a tournament pers- or playoff perspective, I guess. Sure. Right? Yeah. Um, because like the World Cup is obviously amazing, but I think the fact that the entire March Madness tournament is one and done and it's 64 teams mm-hmm. versus like 32 with a round robin and then some knockout stages like that's great and it's the world and there's countries and there's more people invested, but just strictly from like a pure tournament competitive perspective like march madness is it yeah it's so much fun yeah i there was a lot of blowouts in the in the first couple weekends which made it not as exciting as usually the first weekend is because usually in the first weekend there's a ton of close games there's a few buzzer beaters there's a lot of big upsets yeah 
But that Duke game yesterday was probably one of the best college games I've seen in a long time. Totally. It was so much fun to watch. Yeah, it was. Only because, well, if you hate Duke, yeah. then it was really fun to watch. <laughs> yeah. But also, it would have been a pretty pretty big upset, right? The favorite to win the tournament. And sure. uh, you got this, what is it, Central Florida yeah. out of nowhere with, with Jocko, Hako, what was his name? Taco. Taco. Taco, Taco Fall or Fell? Taco Fall. Yeah. Taco what Fall. a beast, right? Super athletic for, I don't know if you watched him play much, but yeah. he was like actually very athletic. He could move, surprisingly. Yeah. Yeah. Surprisingly. That was the first I've seen of him. And... I was a little bit disappointed with him taking some stupid fouls, which put him out of the game a totally. lot. Even in the first half, he sat for probably seven or eight minutes yeah. with foul trouble. Yeah. But it was frustrating because anytime he was in the game, yeah. they would go up like six, seven, eight. Mm-hmm. And then he went out of the game for five minutes and they'd be down 10 when he came back. Yeah, there were some bad calls in that game and a few other games that I was watching too. And I think uh, Chuck and those guys on TNT or whatever were talking about that a little bit. Yeah. And that's unfortunate because... That could sway a game easily, right, from an upset. I don't know if you guys watched the uh, Iowa-Tennessee game. Did you watch that game? That was a really good game. Uh, I, Tennessee I had was to a leave two, for a show. And I think Iowa was a 10. It was in the th- second round. Yes. And uh, Tennessee was up by 25. And it was yesterday, I'm pretty sure, because yeah. I, I had a wedding on Saturday night, and I was super hungover yesterday, so I watched <laughs> basketball like almost all day. That's why I didn't respond to your email until today. <laughs> That's okay. And... Uh, I, I literally, you know, was just in that stunned hungover phase where it didn't even matter what was on TV. Like, I'm just looking at the screen anyways. And I'm watching this game. I'm like, oh, what a blowout, whatever. And then slowly Iowa came all the way back from 25 down in the second half. If they won, it would have been the largest comeback ever after one half in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Tied it went to overtime and then ended up losing by a couple. But like the comeback, like the momentum, you could just feel it. And it was like such, I don't give two craps about either team, but it was just pure like will and determination that they came all the way back from that huge hole. And then that that was actually uh, a really wicked game to kind of experience because when you don't care, but it's just like super competitive, it's, it's wicked. So. I was watching part of the first half of that game and saw it being 25 yeah. point. They were down by like, 25, and I was like, oh, another another game, blowout, right? Yeah, right? Yeah. And then tuned into the beginning of the second half, and they brought it back pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And I had to run out to do a showing. <laughs> so I was like on my phone the whole showing, just like update, update, update <laughs> on the score app. <laughs> and saw it went to overtime, and yeah. then whatever, I, or yeah. Tennessee just went on a little run in overtime. But yeah so many great i love it yeah. sweet 16 this coming week i'm excited for it too there was uh one other guy i think he was on wichita state mm-hmm. ja what's oh ja? yeah where's ja murray, from murray state. murray state yeah ja murray Morant? State. yeah that guy's fun to watch yes. holy cow yeah totally and that's what's cool about the tournament too is you see this talent either showcases itself or it kind of gets unearthed mm-hmm. like you would have never even known who this guy was right maybe he gets drafted and then you're like oh wow who's this rookie but it shows you what's coming to the nba if you're a big nba fan it's even more exciting for sure yeah and the fact you know that's why i think people like want to hate duke maybe especially this year because i mean rj is canadian so that's fantastic but they have likely duke's gonna give the number one and number two picks in the nba draft to have two of those guys on the same teams pretty amazing crazy yeah I guess we should intro our guest, Carl. I guess so, yeah. Um, College basketball basketball expert. (laughs) (laughs) 
we're going to talk about a lot of stuff today, but uh, one of the big things is he is the co-founder of Whiskey Wiseman, and we're going to chat all about that business. Uh, Jordan, Scott, how are you doing? Hey, very well. Thanks Thank a lot you. for coming on the show. This is awesome, guys. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Podcast uh, Virgin No More. That's right. Yeah, it's my <laughs> first one. Popping the cherry here. Love it. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thanks, fellas. Uh, as always the finest of whiskeys for yeah. the evening we say the whiskey wiseman uh we use a gaelic uh term uh as you say slancha okay. slancha roughly translated means cheers to good health and so it's a it's an old gaelic irish uh saying when you when you cheer so slancha 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 i like it slancha yeah it's spelt really awkwardly not how it's said uh like all gaelic uh, words s l a i n t e slancha <laughs> so we use it uh often in these in these settings so there's there's your first takeaway from again s l a i n t e it's like that's what's written tea. on a lot of the irish that's uh, right pub walls. that's right exactly Slan- but it's pronounced slancha interesting because yeah. everyone says slant <clears throat> no <laughs> they, you, you've seen that right? i've seen the word they yeah don't know what they're talking about or they've had way too much whiskey i had no idea that's yeah. how it's pronounced slancha. yeah and my cousins run Irish sports bars. I should know that. All right. If you look at our um, <clears throat> Whiskey Wiseman logo, we have two WWs in the middle. And at the bottom, uh, it says Slancha at the very bottom. Kind of in ode to all the, you know, different Irish pubs and such that incorporated it there as well. Interesting. Yeah. Um, what do you think of the whiskey? <laughs> Lovely. Really? Yeah. Oh, this is like the worst shit ever. It's not that bad. <laughs> Honestly, I've, trust me, I've had a lot worse. Lucas uh, Lucas told me to bring a really shitty whiskey to start. See if it doesn't bother me at all. And then bring out some good stuff. No, if you, uh, I mean, some blended whiskeys are are really good. Um, Others are not very good. Have you ever had a whiskey you just, you just couldn't drink it and just couldn't do it? Yeah, but it, it wasn't like, it wasn't like a single mall or it wasn't anything from Scotland or, or Ireland. It would have been likely like a really bad canadian or american yeah. whiskey like a really crappy bourbon or something yeah. um but yeah i i i know better now that those are likely in my early days or my <laughs> university days where it was more about the cost than it was about what it was that you're drinking right I'm excited, well there you go uh, <laughs> Ooh, the Japan, real stuff. J- japanese you can there blame you can blame lucas for that you don't have to drink that no no it's just it was honestly more of a it's, joke. i don't mind it at all all right well then drink it i'll drink thanks lucas uh i'd love to hear a little bit more about you yeah why don't you give yourself a quick little intro all right uh so 34 years old this year (laughs) i was been thinking about that for some reason lately i don't know why um i I guess i just feel like i'm getting older finally really um yeah because i turned 30 this year and i don't feel anywhere close to old no wait are you married nope okay do you have a kid nope (laughs) so uh, that's a long way off i think those things help to your aging i'm actually i got a few grays coming in my beard which is a new thing as well uh i got a mortgage uh uh, last year so Mm -hmm. you know a few other things i think that are kind of like your 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 passage into real adulthood right (laughs) which has made me feel a bit older but honestly uh maybe we can have this conversation next year but as soon as i hit 30 is when i started to to actually feel it a bit um 
when you're drinking the next day hurts a whole lot more mm-hmm. uh physically when you're when you're working out or i don't know even just picking up and going to play volleyball or football or something like you kind of feel it the next day when you used to be able to just go right you know uh, are you very active normally though yeah, yeah yeah i am um i mean as much as i can be especially now with we have a 15 month at home uh, at home right so he's got a motor on him and we're constantly having to chase him around (laughs) and you know all that type of stuff so that's it's like a different type type of active a little bit um but always going to the gym um play golf as much as possible beach volleyball in the summers my wife and i joined a softball team this year are you a mountain guy since you live in north van yeah so uh hiking very active we have a, a husky rottweiler mix as well so she needs to get out um and we're always trails everywhere right so easy to just get into the mountains which is which is what we love about being there um so yeah all of those things combined it's kind of like takes care of the activity that you would kind of want in your life right so much so where it it's nice to just lie on the couch for an afternoon and watch (laughs) march madness for six hours you know but um yeah so quite active uh but a bit about me uh i grew up in ontario um St. Catharines in Welland, Ontario. If mm-hmm. there's any listeners out there who know, who know where that is, Southern Ontario, um, right between Lake Ontario and Lake Erie. And um, went to Brock University, did my uh, bachelor's in uh, business with a concentration in marketing. So it'd be like uh, growing up somewhere here and going to UBC or SFU. Yeah. I lived at home um, through my bachelor's degree, so I didn't have that like, um, you know, living on campus or living in residence. I didn't have that experience. Instead, I opted to save money and um, buy a car and uh, not be in a ton of student debt when I came out of school. So in hindsight, I think it was a pretty good option. I probably missed out on a few other good times that I could have had elsewhere, especially like watching March Madness. I kind of had made the decision this tournament that my son was for sure going to go to uh, an American Div 1 school, not because the education is better by any means, solely for like the, the scene and, and, yeah. the, and the sports the and like experience, the environment, yeah. the experience, because I think that's something that I would change looking back <laughs> just because Brock or, you know, SFU, it's just, it's not the same, right? No, it's not, not the same. Close. Maybe the education's a bit better, but you know, who knows 18 years down the road when he's ready to go, what that's going to look like. But I just thought, son just you want to go to ucla you want to go to florida state like pick a great i'll pay for it just i'm doing you a favor listen to me you know i vetted uh the options for you so um anyways uh because of that uh i guess my four years at brock i was basically lived my whole life like at home in southern ontario and so i wanted to I wanted to uh, have another experience. Uh, I was 21 at the time when I graduated university, so pretty young. And uh, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I didn't really um, uh, want to get into work. You know, was just in university for four years, had a really good time. So I was kind of like, how can I keep this going um, and not work, uh, I guess I could go back to school. I could keep going to school. So I I entertained the idea about doing my master's and uh, I I decided to do my MBA, but my kind of how I thought about if it was going to be worth it was if I could go do it somewhere like awesome, right? Like super exotic and somewhere that, um, 
you know, I could get the experience that I kind of felt like I missed out, out on over those years. So I just, I just went for it. I applied to the University of Melbourne in Australia, um, the University of Monaco in France, UCLA, Florida State. I applied to UBC because, you know, for a kid that grew up in Southern Ontario, UBC kind of <laughs> seems like it's, you know, tropical and different and otherworldly. Um, I applied to Hawaii Pacific University um, and a few others as well. And I just thought I'm going to go somewhere hot, somewhere warm, somewhere different, different culture, different people, different, different experience if, if I'm going to do it. And so funny enough, I got into every school except for the Canadian universities that I, <laughs> that I applied to. The main reason for that at the time was uh, the Canadian universities, I think, were a bit a bit further ahead. And um, they required that you had a minimum of a certain number of years of job experience, two or five years. So they actually wanted you to get a bachelor's degree, go work, and then come get back. work experience, and then, and then go back to school. And Is for that me, common? I think so. I think even right. more so now. <laughs> and so for me, I was like, you know what, if I do get in the workplace and start making money like three or four years down the road, who knows? And uh, it's very unlikely I'm going to want to go back to school, right? I'm in the school mindset now. Here's the other driver for me doing that. In Ontario, I don't know if you guys, you guys grew up here, right? We grew up in Greater Vancouver, yeah, but been to Ontario okay. a handful of times. So today. in Ontario we used to have 13 grades. Yeah. Okay. You know this, it was called OAC actually. So my birth year was the first year that Ontario government decided to not continue with that. Okay. So what happened was they kind of drew a line in the sand. And so I'm born in 85 and my birth year was the first year that we got to decide they did a four year period where you could could go to 13 or you could leave after grade 12 but the year ahead of us that was they had to go to grade 13 there was no decision and then after i think four year period they cut it and it was totally eliminated anyone starting at whatever year that was just went to grade 12 and whatever to align with the rest of canada so what happened was in one graduating year, you had grade 13s, a whole class and grade 12s. So you could actually have two grades worth of students leaving high school, (laughs) going to university. So they called it the double cohort because university admissions saw their applications jump like 50% because there were way more kids, right? But what ended up happening in actuality, at least in my school, was I would say about only about 10% of my grade 12s decided to go to university. Most stayed really? and went to grade 13. Is there a benefit to that? Like, why would you stay? I would have thought it would have been the opposite. Yeah. Just, just get out as quick as right. you can. Yeah. Exactly. But that wasn't the case. And so that actually created uh, an opportunity for me because, well, an opportunity later. It was harder at the beginning because not only was I competing with uh, students that were a year older than me and who had another year of high school technically, had better grades, all that type of stuff, mm-hmm. but there were just more people in general to apply for university. So I actually applied for a business programs in a number of Ontario-based universities, and I only got into Brock, but they only accepted me into humanities and social studies. So I didn't even get into business right away because I had good enough grades, but there were so many people who wanted to get into business that I guess had better grades or whatever. They took them because they were older or more experienced. So point in the story is um, 
I was kind of at university really young. My birthday is in September. So I actually started university when I was 17. Okay. So I went through my entire first year without even being able to drink legally. Right. So I went that, to the States for you. I couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> no one could drink. Until, yeah, until yeah. third year, right? Yeah. Well, fourth year, basically. Yeah. Until you're 21, right? That's crazy. Yeah. We had, there was like two guys on our basketball team that were 21. So they would just buy booze for our whole team every weekend. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that happened in our school too, but anyways, um, so I ended up going to university and then it was kind of tougher in the beginning. I got good grades in my first year. The second year got accepted to, um, business administration and, and finished that program. And in fact, because I had to backtrack a bit, cause you can only take certain classes in your first year, unless you're in that program. I had to go back, take extra classes and I ended up getting a minor in geography because of it, just because I had to take three or four extra credits. So I had to do summer school my last two years, I think, just to graduate in four years because of the program I chose. But all that's to say, all of my friends, most of my friends, um, didn't get into university until the year after me. So I actually graduated from uh, with my friend base still having a year left at university. So I was like, I could go do my MBA and graduate with a master's as my entire year and friend group was graduating regular university with a bachelor's degree. So that's why I was like, let's give this thing a shot. So I applied all over the place and I ultimately decided to go to Hawaii Pacific University in Honolulu. Great choice. Great choice. (laughs) Couple reasons other than the obvious are uh, at the time, it was actually one of the only programs. This was 2007 I started. One of the only programs that I had researched and found that actually offered a 12 month MBA. So now it's very common. You can do them online, whatever. I don't even know. But at the time, it was usually like two years, like September to April, September to April, right? Two whole more years. And I was kind of like, I don't really want to do two more years of school, but like 12 months in Hawaii, I could bang that out. (laughs) And again, the whole thing was to kind of be coming out of at the same time with the rest of my friends with an extra degree, Mm -hmm. right? And I've just spent the last like year in Hawaii. So, and... I didn't have any student debt for my bachelor's because my I lived at home and my parents kind of covered that. So I could kind of come out with a master's degree at the same debt level as my friends, you know. So there's a lot of benefits. So I went for it, I got accepted and uh, I went to school there. So I went a couple months before school started in like June, school started in August, went full year, 12 months, killed it, honors, um, only two out of 10 people that started the 12 month program who actually finished it in the 12 months, me and this other German guy, shout out to Ingmar. And, uh, and, um, what's Ingmar up to you right now? He's, he's doing great. He's, he, he's German. Okay. He was in Germany. He You're actually, back to Germany? Com- yeah, he actually comes here. I don't know what he's doing professionally, but I know that he's huge into mountain biking and he actually comes here. I don't know if it's annually or biannually, um, for the BC, uh, bike race, I think it's called. Okay, it cool. starts like on Vancouver Island and it's like seven days and they do different circuits on in Cumberland and then they go over to Powell River and then they go to Whistler and then they come all the way down to North Van and wow, it's like a, cool. it's it's a really cool event so anyways he's come a couple times now and and we we hook up when he's in town um because we're in a lot of the same classes together and whatever but anyways um on that vein though uh one of the other reasons i chose to go to hawaii pacific was 12 month program 
but they boasted one of the most diverse student body bases like ever. So they had students from about like 120 different countries that went there because they had really unique programs, marine biology, huge, right? Um, and um, they had a really good business program. Their MBA program was ranked in the top 100 in all the US. Uh, it was a Div 2 school, unfortunately. So Hawaii Pacific was a private university. Uh, the University of Hawaii are the Warriors. If yep. you guys, they're oh, the yeah. D1 school that plays in the in the WAC. So are they on the same island though? Same so island. The universities are are very close together, but okay. that's the state university. And then I, I went to this uh, private university, I guess, Hawaii Pacific. So, um, anyways, really good program. I met a ton of. Uh, different people during my time there are lots of really good friendships not a lot of Americans actually go to that school mm -hmm. there was only a, maybe a handful of Canadians tons of Europeans tons of Scandinavians German I know they're not Scandinavian but um, a lot of Danish and Finnish friends and people that I've met there that I still have connections with today so that was just all really cool and then obviously being in Hawaii over that time it's so interesting at the age of 21 that you would find value in going to a school that has a lot of diversity yeah that seems unique well again Most 21 year olds you gotta, are looking for sure a quick mba program that yeah, makes sense to yeah. me the party party yeah, yeah. or like yeah hawaii a, beaches yeah and so um why, I, don't why, I guess why was that important growing up in southern ontario and staying there for university you just there's wanted, not a ton yeah. of you didn't i didn't have a ton of diversity and to be honest um even up until that point, I had done very little traveling. Like the first flight that I went on, I was like 10 and it, we went to Winnipeg to visit my <laughs> family. Like it, and you know, we, we did a few family trips here and there, but like, it wasn't like I was going to Mexico every whatever, what I still actually haven't been to Mexico, but I didn't have a lot of like, you know, just different experience. So I just mm -hmm. wanted to go so opposite from what I w had experienced in my life so yeah. far um, and just throw me in the middle of it and see what happens. And so I did that. I was on the island for about 18 months, like a little before I finished the program, stayed a little after. And then from there, I moved directly to Vancouver Island. I moved to Victoria. So how and why did I do that? I'll go back to... <laughs> Brock University in Ontario I have a huge I'm part Dutch I have a huge Dutch family my mom has five brothers and four sisters and all of them except for one are in southern Ontario still they live there they raise their families there most of my cousins and everyone is still there but one when he was 18 my uncle Andy moved to Vancouver he's actually been in three Olympics for Canada for rowing and the wow. Olympic team was uh, training in Vancouver and so he moved out here stayed met his wife had kids so he was always out here we didn't see that family much family unions all that type of stuff so he came back one year when I was in university and again I'd never been west of Winnipeg in Canada right and he, he um, and his wife were, were successful they had a, a place in Whistler they had a, a lake house in Vernon on the Okanagan and when he was back he's like you should come for a visit you know come check out BC to see what that's all, all about so I did that in the summer of I don't know sometime in university and landed uh, it was in August I came for two weeks landed at YVR. My cousin picked me up, drove up Granville Street, over the Granville Street Bridge, through downtown, 
over Lionsgate at like 9 a.m. in August, North Shore Mountains. Like I hadn't seen anything like that in my life. I was like 2020 maybe, right? And I was just like, you live here? Like this is <laughs> this is where you live, you know? And he's like, yeah, like what? Like whatever. And he they lived in Deep Cove. They grew up in Deep Cove. So drove over the Lionsgate Bridge all the way across North Van and then ended up in Deep Cove. And um, so the whole trip just blew my mind. We we spent some time in Vancouver, went to Kitts Beach and then went up to Vernon and spent a week in the Okanagan. And that was like my first experience um, of BC. And I said, like, actually, I'm pretty sure I said to him, as we were going over the Lionsgate Bridge, <laughs> I'm moving here one day. Like I just committed to it. And so that was always just like my end goal was was moving here, was being here one day. Um, so that's why I moved to Victoria um, after Hawaii because I always knew I like had to be in BC. Like I gotta go to BC. So school was always just, if I could have stayed in Hawaii, I might've chose to do that, but it was really expensive and um, School was over and kind of served its purpose. So um, that's how I ended up here. I lived for a year in um, in Victoria and it was 2008 and it was right when the uh, recession started. So here's a guy and he's 22, just turned 22. Um, and he has an MBA and he's living in Victoria newlyweds and nearly deads <laughs> during a recession and uh you know bright-eyed bushy-tailed like ready to you know get a job and you know make money and, and all that and obviously now i have a big student debt that i have to pay off as well so um that's actually where i got into to sales and marketing my first gig was uh working for red bull and 2008 cool. red bull was like kind of a big deal right energy drinks were like not even really a, a thing yet. Like at, there was Red Bull and then that was kind of it. Uh, and then Monster and, and the Full Throttle and all that other crap came on, on board. But, you know, I'm 22 and I got a job selling Red Bull into bars and liquor stores and, and whatever. And I thought it was pretty cool, right? A lot of cool events and things like that. So that was my first real direct selling kind of job before that in university of ontario i did uh one year working for our campus newspaper i was selling advertising space literally in our campus newspaper for a few extra bucks for beer money and stuff um so that was kind of the beginning of it and honestly i took the job at red bull because i just didn't there was there was not much else that was available there wasn't much else going on in victoria that really I thought I would like or do and I'd survived a couple of months without anything major but it, I kind of you know expenses started to rack up so I had to figure something out so got that job worked there for a year eventually decided that Victoria was not the place where I needed to be I needed to go to the, the big city <laughs> so I moved to Vancouver in 2009 and um, been living in and around Vancouver ever since I live in North Vancouver now and still in a in a sales role I've gone through various different different jobs and companies I worked for uh, in a consumer package goods uh, industry I worked for a bottling uh, company mm -hmm. um, called Polaris and, and Whistler Water so they do bottled water but they do they co-pack like um, for example Mike's Hard Lemonade, Dad's Root Beer, Koala Cola, Okanagan Spring Cider so 
I would sell bottling solutions to businesses. Like, so you could have uh, your real estate company could have your own bottled water or you could have uh, maybe Get a, those emails weekly. There you go. <laughs> maybe you have a, a, a cool, I don't know, kombucha recipe you want to sell, but you don't have a bottling factory. So you give us your recipe and we make it and you can sell it. Um, so that was uh, for the first four or five years that I lived in in Vancouver. Um, and then I took a role in transportation and logistics. I worked for Purelator for uh, about two years selling supply chain solutions, which was really interesting. Um, and then I was recruited into uh, a telecommunications company called OpticZoo Networks. Um, so lots of different experience in, in a few different industries, always in a business development sales capacity. A lot of big companies. Yeah, Optic Zoo got actually acquired by a bigger company called Zeo Group. They're a fiber infrastructure and data center company based in the U.S. Um, and I've been there for the last year, and uh, I actually just resigned from that job on Monday because, again, I was recruited to a new role um, to a new company called Cologics, which is a data center company, which is really exciting. Uh, that space is really, really exciting for me, and I think uh, I really enjoy the the tech um, kind of um, area and space because I, I am a little bit of a nerd that way where I like I like what's going on but I also like to be at the cutting edge of understanding you know how the world works and the foundation of how everything you know we're, we're doing this right now like how this podcast is, is happening and stuff so that's kind of my professional career in a nutshell I guess it's all on my LinkedIn feel free to connect with me if you want uh, or give me a shout if you need to some host some servers in our data center but um, Carl do you understand what you just said because <laughs> i'm like the exact opposite yeah in terms of like i just want to do shit i don't understand how it works yeah. out i don't understand how we take this voice <laughs> carl does something on his computer and then it's posted everywhere everywhere and people can listen to it i think that's so cool yeah. and i just want to like do the things yeah but I don't know how any we of the back end work. You to do things for us to <laughs> sell things. Yeah, I'm the exact opposite of you. Yeah. I have to know everything works. Yeah. That's why I think a great idea for a podcast, which we're gonna do in the next couple of weeks, is how to start a podcast. Oh. So it's just gonna nice. be me. Yeah. Who is legitimately naive on this, asking Carl questions. <laughs> and be like, Sweet. well, this is how you do it, blah, blah, blah. He seems like a good guy to answer those questions. He's the best. Yeah. I literally do nothing other than show up and talk. Yeah. That was a long-winded response to your "so who are you?" I yeah, guess that's, okay. uh, <laughs> that's what we're looking for uh, thing, but uh, hopefully that provides you a bit of perspective on on uh, on me and what I've been up to lately. Let's get into whiskey. Yeah, and as we get into whiskey, can I please change that? Yeah, no problem. <laughs> okay, I was going to give you a new glass of something else. No worries. Would you like the? I've had a lot of the original, so let's go. With the, a, let's go. With have the you had this one? I have, yeah. Nika's probably my favorite uh, Japanese whiskey maker. I tried this one recently because I hadn't had it. I oh. had the coffee green a lot, mm. the pink label one, and I love that one. That's Super one of my good. favorites. Yeah. So I wanted to try this one. Honestly, they don't they don't have a bad one. They're 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 black and red. Uh, pure malts are great. The single barrels, like you gotta just that should be a staple. Like I think on everyone's. <laughs> It's super. That's the little bottle. The right? little bottle. Okay, it's super too. approachable. Like it's got that little peat, but it's super smooth. And I think it like touches on a lot of different like kinds and flavors of whiskey, like all in one little glass that I really like, like giving it to people who 
aren't big into whiskey because I think it surprises them a little bit. Like they're expecting this like really crazy, harsh, potent thing that they maybe can just associate like doing shots of Jameson to. But now you give them this and you just say, just sip it, try it, you mm-hmm. know, and it really surprises them. So cheers. Slancha for that. From, so what's the word we're saying again? Slancha. Slancha. Yeah. yeah. Slancha. I got to get slanted out of my it. head. You gotta, yeah. <laughs> if you see it a few times, you got to kind of train. It's one of those words you train it's your like a brain CH. to. Slancha. Yeah, slancha. Okay. How'd you get into whiskey? Uh, by the way, this is a much different experience than the. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> I'm by no means like a, a, like a whiskey expert, to be honest. It's, it's, uh, there's a lot of other things that I think I enjoy or learn or know more about. I could probably talk to you more about basketball or the NFL than I could about whiskey, but uh, it's still right up there on my list of like things that I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so the whiskey Wiseman started uh, with let's let's oh start just get with into whiskey. whiskey. Like, sure. How do you how do you get into whiskey? Uh, or when? You know what? I don't know. That's I, I I was just thinking about how to try and answer that and. Uh, just I think a few of my buddies who are into it were into it and Mm -hmm. so we naturally just started you know like you do experimenting trying a few bottles this and that and um it just started to happen um I guess in the last six or seven years so it wasn't that I ask it is because I think for a lot of people whiskey is intimidating yeah similar to wine Mm mm-hmm like there's a lot of options and people go to a liquor store and have no idea where to start. Yeah. Especially for whiskey, scotch in particular is expensive. Mm-hmm. And so not knowing much about it, spending 80, a hundred dollars on a bottle yeah. of scotch is intimidating for people. Yeah. I think, you know, the one really good way to, to kind of go about it without having to be intimidated or spend a lot of money is just there's there's tons of different like tasting events that happen a lot of the brands have ambassadors and they host things and so if you're not really sure you can pay 50 or 60 bucks and go and have food and try like you know five or six whiskeys and actually start to learn about it and i think it's actually the learning about it that is more addictive than the actual drinking or trying it It because it's super interesting like way more interesting than wine way more complex to actually get it and it's every single brand every bottle even has like a super unique story like how it came to be and why they made it that way and it can get like almost it's scientific but it can get very artistic at the same way like it kind of crosses both and so i think if you are interested in in that in itself that will actually drive your interest into actually continuing to to drink and try whiskey so mm. that whole the whole storytelling behind it is it is a bit of a marketing thing i think but at the same time th- there is some really really interesting stuff out there that has like a, a, a beautiful story behind it for me i'm like maybe two or three years into like falling in love with it yeah and before that it was I don't know. I guess I didn't really drink until I went to university. So maybe I was just a few years behind most most people yeah. growing up in Greater Vancouver. But getting into whiskey for me was, it was intimidating. And that's why I asked that question is I didn't really know where to start. Uh, the stuff that I had had, I didn't know anything about. And like you said, it was like a Jameson at a party that yeah. someone's telling you to shoot. Totally. Or a Jack or something like that. And exploring good stuff that has a story that is well made is just a completely different experience totally and so i've absolutely fallen in love with it 
I think it helps to have someone who, you know, you respect and look up to and trust, I think, to to make those introductions because Mm -hmm. it is, it could be intimidating. And if you don't know anything about it, like, where do you start? And I guess that happened for me through through my through my couple of my good buddies who helped start the whiskey wisemans particularly one of my buddies nick who is probably knows like top three people i know the most about whiskey and, and he's he's the nerd on the actual look taste feel that side of it like he really can tap into his, his senses and explore that um whereas i'm maybe a bit more amateur in that like i know what i like i know what tastes good i know those things and i know what makes like a good whiskey and i'll just stay in that area but like he goes deep and he's he's really broadened my um whiskey palette if you will and he's actually what got me into um the the peat the peated whiskeys from mm. from isla that now I, I love i think those are like the, the best and that's why i like some of the nikas because they do have that peat characteristic to it so the other thing when i started i felt it was a little bit like wine in terms of like the people that know a lot about it seem to be pretty snobby about like what's good and what's not good mm. and so someone who is naive or ignorant and not knowing a ton about it would be looked down upon mm. and i think that really just came from movies i as I'm getting more into the whiskey world, I'm finding that it's a lot of people like you and me. Totally. Especially in Vancouver. Especially now. Like in the last three years, like since you've been kind of getting into it, um, we actually, um, we host, uh, we have a membership club and the, we do quarterly events and we get a whiskey ambassador to come in and lead a tasting. And then there's other components to the event. But the last one that we just hosted, the master distiller, uh, whiskey maker from Westland Distillery in Seattle. Mm-hmm. He came up and he gave his presentation on his, he started this company, he's made every barrel and he told us like his approach uh, to making whiskey and it's so um, non-traditional and like unconventional as it relates to like the, like what whiskey's supposed to like be and look and feel like and like the rules that are set out for whiskey um, because he wanted to make not something that fit into a box like oh to be american whiskey it has to be aged this long it has to be in these barrels it has to be here and he's just kind of like whatever i don't care i'm doing it this way and he's producing some amazing stuff so i think those types of attitudes and those types of companies that are kind of pioneering different things are going to create some super unique spirits and kind of change the rules a little bit so that what you're describing as far as approachability and intimidation it's it's being eliminated right because it's it it doesn't have that aura around what it is anymore I love that. It's similar yeah. to craft beer almost, right? Totally. Like 100%. So inclusive. Yeah. So inclusive. Yeah. And, they, and they're partnering with, like, they're partnering with craft brewers. In fact, one of their whiskeys is made from old, or actually they're, they're recycling their whiskey barrels to give to breweries to to put beer in and mm-hmm. make some really unique beers out of and they're doing this whole sharing thing across the region and stuff so very collaborative um and very you know cutting edge as far as just like tr- just anything goes right and i think that's 
you're you're seeing that out there in the marketplace and i think those brands are really going to thrive especially with our demographic and our our age group it's not these stuffy old scotches from the uk or you know whatever right like yeah. that stuff's that stuff's it's like the it's like the coors and the molsons and those companies now are are struggling to maintain market share because there's more choice but um there's better choice right for sure what would you say your overall knowledge of whiskey is out of 10 Hmm. <laughs> seven. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. I'd say yeah. mine is like two. Yeah. I'm in the neg- I'm, I'm in the negatives for sure. <laughs> I'd say it's seven. Soft seven. I'm maybe. in the wanting to learn more category. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah. I'm in the like um here's the thing. Like I said, I, I'm I love whiskey, but I'm not like it's kinda like how I like love I don't know, skiing. You know, like I, I really do enjoy it, but like, you know how there's people who are like looking at the weather report, refreshing yeah, it, yeah, being yeah. like, oh, there's so much pow coming. Like I can't wait. And they like don't sleep. And then they, they're the first one. Like that is like a 10 as far as like what we're relating to for whiskey. Like I, I really love it, but it's, I'm not like that excited about it. So I'm not, I don't push myself to like really try and get into it that much. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like got to a point where like I understand it. It's interesting. I stay up to date. I try new bottles. I go to different events and stuff. But like I said, my buddy Nick is that guy who's like, you know, refreshing his phone for the pow days. So do you have any idea who Glenn is? I feel like Glenn is the industry leader in Scotch. Yeah. It's like Glenn Morangy, Glenn Farclay, Glenn Fittick. Yeah, there's a lot of Glens. So Glenn's nobody. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Do you know why it's called Glenn? Aren't, aren't most of them like family names? Is it from an area? It's so a Glen is like a specific, yeah, like ecological um, area. That's okay. kind of like it's there's specifics to, like don't quote me on this. I'm not trying to fully <laughs> understand it, but it's like a valley or a meadow that has like a creek running through it is like a Glen in Scotland and mm-hmm. uh, and the UK. And then Morangie or Farkless or whatever could be a family name, but it's more so an area. Gotcha. So it's like the okay. Glen of somewhere or the Glen of somewhere else, right? So do all the Glens kind of have like a similar taste or kind of fee features? No, not no? necessarily. I think a lot of the Glens though are from the Highlands. Highlands yeah. And so the Highlands have more of a, a characteristic kind of feature. But again, you're seeing those distilleries to compete with craft distilleries but also consumer tastes and preferences diversify even what they've traditionally done right yeah and so they're doing a lot of different things second and third uh barrel maturations to extract new flavors trying to appease consumers from those places so um but no i mean each that's what's cool about whiskey is that every every single distillery bottle especially the old ones in scotland have their own stories but what i think they're doing a really good job of is adapting to the changing market some are specifically saying like no no this it's like a steam whistle right they just make a pilsner that's Mm -hmm. all they do we do one thing we do it well that's what we're doing so some distilleries are just saying no this is who we are and so there's you're going to have people who are going to appreciate that and like that whiskey for that but then there's others that are doing crazy stuff like aging whiskey at sea or i'm pretty sure someone right now is trying to or has successfully aged whiskey like in space like there's (laughs) yeah i can't remember who but i'm I'm 
pretty confident that's actually a thing uh, or, or, or really pushing the envelope as to the scientific side to try and experiment what things will happen and what they'll do. And then you're having other distilleries that open a door in the back that no one's looked in and then there's barrels in there from 70 years ago and bottling that or using that to blend with with new whiskeys to create some new taste profile that could be attractive to stuff so it's such like a wide spectrum especially now more so than ever i think which is why it's really exciting to kind of be a part of it and being the whiskey wiseman society obviously we've we've benefited from that um given the the boom that's happened kind of in the spirits world specifically around around whiskey that wasn't the intent like we didn't think about it being like oh we should do this because then people were thinking about this it literally was like we're just a group of guys and we want to get together and have whiskey and we're going to try and learn a lot about it and we're going to create a community around doing that right and so and again this was like us in 2013 12 or 13 so our younger selves <laughs> that probably were drinking it less so for the reasons than we were now more so for the reasons you had mentioned earlier but uh it's really just evolved and we can go through that uh and, but it's it's an exciting time for someone who's wanting to get into whiskey give me like two or three staples that maybe are lower price points that mm. they should try to get into it okay um i i personally love um Macallan. Mm-hmm. Macallan's a Highland whiskey like Glenmorangie. And um, they have a, a different line now. They used to do age only statements, so 8, 10, 12 year whiskeys. But now, because of the demand, they haven't been able to keep up and they have to produce more. So therefore, they can't offer age statement whiskeys because the rule is that the uh, age on the bottle has to be the youngest whiskey that's in the bottle. So if they want it to be a 10-year whiskey, there could be 12 and 15-year whiskeys in the bottle. But if they put a little bit of 10 in, it's a 10-year whiskey, right? So because they're... Do they often blend them like that? Yeah. They do. So because the 10s and the 12s and the 15s are are running out, it's low supply. They've all been bought up. Um, they have to make new whiskey. And so they're putting younger whiskey in and they don't want to mm-hmm. like label it as a two-year whiskey, right? So they're just... They, they've changed to colors or to just names of whiskeys and the reason i say why mccallan's a nice one is really approachable the highland whiskeys traditionally are are very very light very mellow very um approachable and so uh any really any whiskey in the in the highlands is is gonna have that kind of profile and i think those are like the best ones to get into the whiskey and then at the other end of the spectrum you have the whiskeys from isla which is the small island off the coast mm-hmm. and those ones are like heavy heavy peated whiskeys so you're going to want to like kind of work your way towards those there's only six distilleries on isla and they all make very heavily peated peated whiskeys there's only six only six yeah it's a very small island though so like it, by like population of like per capita like distilleries to the island it's like unbelievable like nowhere else is there that many distilleries per per capita or whatever so um and the reason for that is that uh there are no trees on the island so you need to um burn trees to um dry the the grains you need a fire to to dry the malt and there weren't any trees so there's no wood to burn so they burned peat but the a byproduct of burning peat is heavy heavy dense smoke and so that gets into the the malt and the grains and that 
eventually comes through in the in the favor profile of the whiskey so now it's not necessary because that was back in the 1500s when they couldn't transport wood from the mainland over <laughs> to the island just to make whiskey so they used the peat but um now they can so the the inverse is happening wherein um there actually is a peat shortage because uh distilleries want that flavor profile in their whiskey so they're actually exporting peat off the island to other distilleries just to get that that smoky flavor into their whiskey and the distilleries on the island are still making peated whiskey even though they don't need to use it anymore right <laughs> they could just go get wood and burn it and they can just not do that so some of them are experimenting with non-peated whiskeys and vice versa. Um, and that's just been because of like history and evolution, right? So um, start with the Highlands and then kind of move your way through. The Japanese are doing amazing things with whiskey right now. Even the Canadian whiskey scene uh, is is doing very well, both from a craft perspective, but even some of the bigger houses like Weiser's um, and Corby's are, are releasing some really interesting whiskeys like you've probably seen in the marketplace. Canadian club stuff like that doing unique things mm -hmm. where they're digging deep into their repositories of barrels and doing some blends and everyone's stepping up because I think overall the market's education about whiskey has been elevated right so they can't really fool consumers or do anything like that anymore they have to actually deliver really high quality products that um, have a really cool story that people want to uh, be affiliated to Let's move ahead to the <clears throat> avid whiskey drinker. Mm -hmm. A couple maybe that are a little bit more rare that they haven't tried that they should put on their radar. Mm. Man, there's, there's so many now. It's like I stick to the single malts, to be honest. I stick to Scotland. I still think that a lot of the best whiskey that's produced is out of there. Although, like I said, um, Cavalan is, is a really interesting whiskey Cavalan Cavalan is really interesting whiskey. not not from Scotland it's uh it's actually Taiwanese yeah and then like I said the Japanese so there's Hibiki there's Yamazaki there's Nika some really really cool things and I think the cool thing about those whiskeys is that they've actually been around for a long time the Japanese whiskeys but they haven't breached the global marketplace before so we're only beginning to understand and realize what their history is the stories behind their whiskeys um, and and the history behind the, those products are and so I think that's just a really cool uh, entrance so my advice honestly would just be like understand what you like and what you're interested in and then and then continue just to drive into that area and and find ones that are um, that you know seem different or come from different places or you know like even even in the spectrum of bourbon like that's grown so substantially Crazy, right yeah. like everyone was just like oh i mean actually jack daniels isn't even a bourbon but um there's so many different kinds now and different um companies making american whiskey or bourbon that um it's it's really just endless so just push yourself to like take that next step and continue trying um and you'll learn what you like and what you don't like and um you'll learn what uh, you feel comfortable paying for a bottle of whiskey. Um, I mean, it's always nice to get them as presents. So I find like that <laughs> ends up being a lot, a lot of the way that I either get or, or give mine. Right. But that's, a, that's the other really cool thing is that, um, 
if you do learn someone's taste and preferences for a certain bottle, like to be able to treat that person, maybe one of your clients, we, you, they buy a house from you and you say, hey, like, thanks very much. Here's mm -hmm. something really nice where it means a lot because you've tapped into knowing what the, they want, but they also understand like, you know, the value in that, in that product. And, and that's a really nice treat for some people. So um, we tend to do that a lot within our, our group is, you know, gift each other like pretty nice bottles but then you know we end up inviting everyone over and <laughs> going through it right <laughs> so um that's that's the fun part about about this about this okay this is more of my curiosity then we're gonna chat a little bit about whiskey Wazza. yeah sure most overrated for the price point can be a couple you can throw a couple names uh, out there most overrated the, the 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 one that comes to mind immediately is the uh johnny walker blue label 100 percent, right why is it 250 bucks it's, yeah whatever it's it like 300 bucks yeah. i think it's american um johnny walker's a, a blended whiskey actually i don't mind the blue label to be honest but that is just pure marketing um and using the the brand power and also the the ownership power behind that brand to really just you know make a product that's i don't know to, to me it's it's nothing special um and just sell it at like a super high premium right and they just do a really good good job doing that so that's the one that like when you say that immediately sticks out to me even though like i'm not i'm not hating on it i actually don't even think it's terrible i just think that like for 300 bucks like there are substantially better whiskeys like even in the 100 to 200 range that you could get that would blow that out of the water i completely agree <laughs> i've had it one time at i don't know if it was like a friend's engagement party or something his dad was passing around johnny walker blue so i had an ounce of it yeah and so i i took a couple sips and i'm like are you sure this is johnny walker blue because mm. this is like it tastes like basically every yeah. other highland i've had you know what's, you know, what's really similar. funny is that and the reason why i'm saying this just for anyone who's listening who's maybe disagreeing or or uh thinks differently is i went to the world cup in brazil in 2014 unreal and yeah. i spent three weeks down there and johnny walker red label okay which is the the lowest yeah. level of johnny walker in north america just so for the record, that was one of the other ones I was considering when I was buying a low end. Yes, one so, to tease yeah. you with anyone, anything in like the thirty dollar range yeah. or whatever. This is twenty four. Is, is, yeah, is going to be one of those. Um, but the reason why I say it is I'm down there, and the Johnny Walker Red Label was um, marketed, sold as in liquor stores and in bars as as basically the Blue Label was here. Okay. And it wasn't like they were like, oh, Brazil likes red more than blue. So we'll change the label, but it's the same product. No, <laughs> it was Johnny Walker red label. The same stuff we get here was selling at premium prices and was in Brazil regarded as the highest premium, like best selling uh, scotch in brazil and so there goes you know a market that's not a whiskey market per se right in brazil but uh a company taking advantage of their position likely their distribution and their ability to sell like a you know subpar scotch to a probably less than educated group about what good scotch is because the options 
otherwise were very limited, right? Uh, overall throughout the country. Like I was in six different cities and everywhere I went, it was like, what whiskey do you got? Johnny Walker Red Label. And it was like twice as much as anything else I was going to buy. <laughs> so I wasn't buying it at all, but I was just blown away that this was how it was, right? And you would just never know that. So that's another thing that kind of t- tweaks me about that brand and just what like the perception that can be, you know, done by those types of companies. But anyways, that's just a story to, 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 to okay. prove my point. Most underrated whiskey for mm. the price point. So I want something that's like an absolute point. steal at like 60 bucks that should be 120. Okay. I'll tell a story to back up my choice. Okay. okay. Um, so every year, uh, the board members of the Whiskey Wiseman Society, we uh, have a like a whiskey tournament okay and the premise is that we have a we've developed First of all, whiskey tournament yeah how do i get involved <laughs> that sounds amazing so we've developed a proprietary scoring system that uh <laughs> that uh that we have to uh grade so we do a we do a blind whiskey tasting okay so everybody is charged with bringing in uh, a whiskey like in a, in a brown bag like no one can see it and we do a blind tasting all the board members and the goal is to get the highest score averaged out by all of the board members so we have to rate each, each whiskey but it being the lowest price okay. okay so yeah i could go out and buy a 400 dollars bottle of whiskey and try and like win this thing and sure. the winner the winner wins all the bottles so there's six <laughs> bottles right so you win what's left so we only have six ounces because there's only six of us so the winner wins what's left so it's like fairly substantial you get about six three quarter bottles of whiskey <laughs> but bragging rights right like you 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 won the tournament and it's very strategic so you have to think like okay am i going in with like a 70 dollar bottle but it's gonna like blow everyone's socks off so i'm gonna win but the price we we made an excel spreadsheet is weighted like negatively against the score meaning the higher the cost of the bottle actually technically reduces your 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 total points in the end yeah so the goal is to get like a really cheap bottle like valentine's but (laughs) somehow have people think that it's really good it's a blind tasting and we do it we do it accurately and we've done this for for years and for the last two years in a row black bush has won the tournament and it's an irish whiskey and it's black like a Bushmills? yeah black bush yeah black bush yeah black bush that's different than Bushmills. it's Bushmills black bush black bush yes okay. yes it's like a 30 dollar bottle of irish whiskey and so <laughs> one of our board members brought it one year it won the next year another board member different person brought it and it, it won, won. <laughs> and it won again. And so I don't know if our scoring system's a little backwards and that we're too heavily favoring the really, really ones. cheap bottles yeah. or if it's actually just that good. And funny enough, I was at a friend's wedding on Saturday and uh, the MC of the, uh, of the wedding was, um, he's on our board and he is part Irish and he brought the original bottle and i know that he helped the groom pick the bar selection because the only whiskey available at the wedding was blackbush <laughs> yeah so anyways i think that 
solely because of the, it's won the tournament two years in a row is the most underrated uh, whiskey on the market. And it's backed by our entire board <laughs> picking it in a blind taste testing. So there you go. Okay. Yeah. I've got one and I'm going to share it with you. Okay. But I don't want the other board members to see it because I want you to use it okay. next year's tourney. Sure, sure. It's also Irish. Okay. I found that Irish whiskey is way underpriced comparatively to Scotch. Totally. Just for the name, Brandon. Don't know eh? why. It's it's that. I think it's just, uh, I don't know what it is if they just like make so much of it. And uh, I feel like their market's probably heavily in Ireland, <laughs> right? And the UK. Fair. Yeah. And then they, this is just like extra for them or whatever. I, I don't know if it's a huge focus for them, but they that those whiskeys are becoming more proper and and i always was just like irish whiskey like whatever right like it's so you was think i it, until like it, six months ago you yeah. think of jameson or you think of whatever and you're like eh, don't i don't like that right and it, i almost think jameson gives um the whole category a bad name totally. because everyone shoots jameson and they think that's what it's all about <laughs> but it's not okay let's get into whiskey wiseman yeah just tell me how it, how it started. Yeah, it's a it's a really fun uh, passion project, really. I mean, um, completely volunteer based. It's a not not for profit. It started not with any of the intent of what it's become whatsoever. Um, Kevin and I, uh, my co-founder, we were literally sitting in our office uh, one day. This was in twenty. I think it must have been in twenty twelve. I guess because we started in 2013, 2012. And we were both lamenting over the fact that we um, don't see each other enough. We work together, but like outside <laughs> of work, just like non, yeah. just like, you know, bro time, just kind of like hanging out, whatever. We both had, you know, longer term girlfriends. Life was busy and this was like then and now life's now, right? <laughs> so, so we were like, how do we do something where we can like, you know, have a day in the calendar where it's like, this is every, every month we like hang out. Right. And it's like a guaranteed time. So <laughs> we were such a dude thing. to Yeah, find, eh? totally. So we were, we were, we were budding whiskey enthusiasts at the time. And honestly, this is exactly how the conversation went. He goes, you know what? I have, I have some really nice bottles at my house. Like we should get a couple guys together let's get into them right and i was like it's a great idea and i was like but that's kind of like boring like we're just gonna sit in your <laughs> stuffy apartment and just sit around and sip whiskey with like four or five dudes right and i go what if we did that but we did it like at a bar where it's like more lively and we can socialize and like it's somewhere we all can go and like meet and maybe we move it around that type of thing okay cool all right, let's, let's like, let's like try that. Okay. Let's just see what that looks and feels like. So we came up with third Thursdays. So on the third Thursday of every month, we'll get together because it's memorable. It's not on a weekend when you probably already have plans and you're busy, right? It's on like an off night where the bar is probably not that busy, but it's close to the weekend. So if you're hungover, it's Friday and it's not a big deal. <laughs> so so we uh, we kind of said, okay, sure, that's it, let's do that. And this we didn't we didn't say, oh, this is going to be enough for profit. This is we're going to call it this. It was just let's get together once a month. So at the beginning, it was just literally like bromance. We need to get together. The first official third Thursday that we had was I think there was five or six guys, and we had it at the Irish Heather in Gastown. And you know what? We all got together and we were like, had a few whiskeys and we're like, this is great. This is awesome. We need this, that we need more of this. And so, um, 
we said, yeah, great. Let's, let's do it again. You go tell two people, you go tell, let's make it bigger. Let's have more people. So, um, sure enough that happened the next, the next month. Was there any goal going in with like conversation? Was it like business conversation, friend conversation, nothing? Just dudes, whiskey away from everything. (laughs) Just us. Just just, just an excuse to get together, right? Literally, honestly, that's it. That's how we describe it every time. And Kev and others will, will back me up that that's literally, we had no more foresight into making it anything more, um, other than just like, it's just that thing that lives on your calendar and you're just committed to it. It's once a month, it's low, low obligation. If you can't make it, whatever, if you can, great. So the next month goes by a few more guys. Hey, this is great. Hey, this is great. So we said, okay, now I think we should make this like an actual thing. Let's like formalize it into like a thing, right? Make like a group and like put it out there and like actually really kind of blow this up a little bit. So it was in those early days. I honestly don't know how it went, but it was only dudes. And we told our wives and girlfriends and everything was, <laughs> hey, this is a guy's only thing. It's, it's the Whiskey Wiseman. That's why we came up with, with the name. And that's why it is the name that it was, was we felt like we needed a name, I guess. And so we made it a name and then we maybe held a couple more. And then we kind of, Kevin and I sat around and we're like, you know, this is awesome. But like, how do we make this like mean something, right? It doesn't really mean anything. It's great, but we're not doing anything really, right? So we had floated a few ideas around and we thought, you know, how do we do something for charity, but still do this, like leave that intact. And so what we figured out was that, um, we decided what if we asked the bar to say like, listen, we have guys coming here, X amount of people we're bringing to your bar guaranteed monthly spending X dollars on, you know, middle range to premium scotch everyone, every month. Right. (laughs) Like, what would that mean to you? Like, what could we do? And they go, we don't want a discount. Like we don't want the benefit. We want to derive a benefit for a charity. And they said, I don't even know how the idea came about necessarily, but we decided that they would donate back to us 10% of what we spent. So if we get 10 people and everyone spends 50 bucks, we spent 500 bucks, they're going to give us 50 bucks and we're going to take that money and we're just going to donate it to charity because we're already doing what we would have done anyways. We're getting together, we're getting a benefit, we're drinking some good whiskey, but the bar is actually direct, like giving us the benefit because yeah. they're selling us premium scotch and we're giving them revenue and they're giving us a, a benefit back, but we're just choosing to donate that back. So that was that was the beginning of the Whiskey Wiseman Society right there. That was kind of the beginning idea. And we're like, this is a recurring revenue model. We could do this every month. Let's, let's get this going. Let's blow it up. Logo, website, group, people, Facebook, everything. We got it going. And that was, I remember the first one was in January, 2013. And by September, it was big. We, we were having 50, 60 people come out to these events. Really? That quickly? Huh? That quickly. Just our networks and, you know, and, and just boom. It was just something at the time that people were like buying into. How are you promoting it? Like, how are you getting people out? Literally Facebook page, events, invite, um, text. Hey, you know, I think you'd be interested in this thing, getting guys together, having whiskey, whatever. And, you know, at the time, like if someone told you that today, would you be like, it sounds great. Well, I started a similar thing. Like, there you go. (laughs) Six months ago, eight months ago. So, so. Uh, so here we, we hit September and I remember it being September cause that's when I was, I was born in September, but specifically it was back to school. Summer was over. 
and our girlfriends and wives and stuff were kind of like hey like this sounds fun like we want to come like we want to come and you know we were having 50 people turn out so we were raising i don't know a couple hundred bucks a night with everyone spent right we're kind of or per month and we're like you know the more people we have come the bigger the donation's gonna be so we actually had some serious talks about like do we want to let women <laughs> to be a part of this right like it's the whiskey wise men like whatever and so i i remember it being september and we go you know what let's do it let's let's try it we'll do one event <laughs> special event trial run women can come and it's all good right I so wish i could have been part of that conversation because i'm sure there was some yeah back and forth well, right? you know the whole this is premise, change the dynamic of totally. the group yes yeah. a lot of those yeah and it did but at the same time literally that we had we packed the room like it was full the vibe was great and we like doubled our donation and now we're like whoa we're like on to something now because if all the people that came told someone and it kept going this could get really big right and so we decided okay it's it's still the whiskey wiseman society but it's it doesn't matter you know who you are you know anything you can come and so then we still really started to push it and in our first year first year in that in on that basis alone just 10 percent of the kickback from whatever we spent we raised a thousand dollars doing nothing more than inviting people to come drink with us once mm -hmm. a month right so that's kind of powerful right when you kind of feel what that what that impact would do and we donated that to a charity called project true so the funny thing about how we started was there was a group of guys. And so we said to offset this like chauvinistic kind of like male dominated group that people weren't necessarily happy about, we would support a, a women's based charity and a women's cause. So it's kind of like guys giving back to girls and it checks that box and everyone's happy. And so we picked Project True, which um, supported uh, helping uh, women with eating disorders. And we knew the founder through our network and um, it was actually a really great charity and we carried them on as our charity partner for the following year and we raised $3,000 in the second year solely on doing these one night a month at uh, Shabin in Gastown. <laughs> so that's how it started. Those were the first two years. We're now in year seven right three four five six seven eight nine seven seventh year of operation we have a we we pay a full-time employee who's our ceo leslie and she runs the organization from top to bottom so we have um six board members and we kind of like oversee vision big projects uh, and we kind of do some of the high level tasks of the organization finance and operations legal stuff like that but she runs the organization day-to-day full-time job and then we hire contractors uh really mostly friends and contacts of ours to scale up to execute on bigger events so we have an annual golf tournament it's our third annual this year we have a speaker series that we do twice a year which are huge we had uh, david chilton uh, be the keynote at our last uh, speaker series, which was really cool. cool. Um, we do we still do our public monthly events, which was the foundation of how we started. We've started a, a, a club called Clubwise. It's an exclusive membership group. So you actually pay uh, a membership fee to be a part of the group. And then you get access to exclusive events that we put on for that group. We have about 75 members, men and women. Um, they're hosted in unique venues. We have a whiskey ambassador lead a taste 
tasting and we have um, uh, a really interesting uh, entrepreneur or someone in the community come in and just talk about like what we're talking about. How'd you get started? What are you doing? You know, this, that, whatever. It's It's been very diverse as to how we've got that. And we kind of crowdsource like what people are into and we go out and we find people. And the whole thing is it's community focused. It's all local, that type of thing. So the premise is all of those activities, mainly events-based activities, we sum up all the proceeds from everything that we're able to do and we donate that that amount okay so in year one it was a thousand year two was three thousand in year three it was six twelve fifteen and in that time span we've also been able to um create uh chapters so we actually have operationally um, events happening that are run by Whiskey Wiseman committee members in Calgary, Miami, the Cayman Islands, um, where else? <laughs> Vancouver for sure, and I'm missing one. I think there's five on your website. There's five. I think either Victoria or Toronto. I'm not sure. But at any given time, we've had up to eight. Some chapters have have disbanded because people who were leading it had left, or just the volunteers had moved on and been strictly volunteer we've done nothing to really promote it other than maybe an instagram post or it's on our website people have found us have heard about us they've reached out to us and said i want to be a part of this how do i how do i start what you guys have started in my community and we're like here's the package here's the roadmap here's how you do it and so toronto has been a chapter at one point uh new york was a chapter for a number of years victoria as well and again it's all community-based and we don't put like a ton of effort into trying to launch chapters because it's actually becomes quite difficult to manage um, and especially internationally. But some of the chapters have been able to do amazing things. Calgary hosted an event last year that raised over $20,000 in one event. Um, the Cayman Islands has hosted events for years. People found us from the Cayman Islands and contacted us, and they've been doing our monthly events for years, raising thousands of dollars for uh, feeding the future, which is to provide money for uh, kids in the Cayman Islands. So, what we started is Boys Whiskey Club has reached uh, kids, benefiting kids in the Cayman Islands. Right, like it's it's truly been amazing the the reach uh, that it's had. We have over sixty thousand uh, followers on Instagram. We have multiple. Uh, a thousand followers on Facebook and all these different communities side of my desk. It's never been full-time. None of the board members has it been really a full-time project. We've put in all our own hours, all our own money. We've taken nothing from the society. So um, it's really fun. It's really just evolved into something truly amazing that we, again, from day one had no plan for, right? In fact, some of the things that we have implemented that are now some of our marquee events, like the golf tournament and the club were literally just ideas that we thought like, you know, it would be really cool <laughs> is to like have our own golf tournament. Yeah. It's going to raise a bunch of money, but we just love golf and that would be like a really fun thing to do. And here we are third annual, we raised tens of thousands of dollars from our golf tournament every year. And so it's been something truly organic. Uh, I think it's, it's, we've been able to ride the, the whiskey wave a little bit. Like as, as we were starting, whiskey was getting big and more popular and everyone was getting more interested in it. So that's helped a little bit. And we've, we've created a really 
really cool community. So back to your original, you asked me right at the very beginning, you were like, oh, so like there was no point, like there was no networking, there was no like purpose really. But I think that's what everyone really likes about what we're doing is that there is no angle, there is no like specific thing. It's like like-minded people coming out to enjoy something that they're mutually interested in and, and they're naturally going to be good people and they're just going to have good conversations. And so, you know, what's even more exciting to hear is some of the, the, the business, I guess, or some of the relationships anyways, that have developed because of our community here and across our chapters that have really started to flourish. People have started to work together. Oh, hey, you're a lawyer. Oh, hey, you're an accountant. Hey, you're a realtor. That's just happened super organically, literally over whiskey, just because we wanted to get some people together. So it's been such a fun thing to watch. And Kevin and I often have to speak at some of our events and stuff, but and people ask, how does it start and all this? And I think people expect like this, like strong vision. Like I pictured a better world <laughs> that like, you know, like this would be the way that we would do things. And it's like totally the opposite. Like it almost just started just going and we got momentum and we found a, a community of, of people who wanted to just align and participate in what we we're doing. And again, all volunteer based, like ex with the exception of our CEO now who we pay to run the organization. But we got so big where like we all, we couldn't manage it. And if we wanted to keep it going, we had to hire someone. But we've netted more gains because of having that by mm -hmm. exposure, the number of events that we could do, the community, the reach, the, the money that we could raise. So it was a smart thing to do. And she was actually part of the organization um, before that. And she actually said, hey, I want to quit my job and I want to go full time. How can we figure out how to support me and grow the organization? And we had that discussion and we decided to take that on. And she's in her third year now running the organization. So super amazing. Shout out to Leslie. That's so cool. Yeah. First of all, I want to be involved. So yeah, maybe we can chat about that afterwards. There's, there's, <clears throat> there's lots of different ways, man. There, there is just from coming to an event, uh, sponsoring an event, um, there's it's such a cool group of people that I've been so fortunate to meet and I realized the tipping point was maybe in year three or so when I was going to our monthly events often and I would walk in the room and and you know early on I would know like 80% of the people right because it was all my network or my friends networks yeah. of people and every so often you would uh, a friend of mine or a friend of someone's would say oh hey i brought my colleague who no one knew and oh yeah great hey i heard about this this is wicked da 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 da, da. but what started to end up happening is that that kept growing and growing to the point where i was walking into a room of people something that i started and i literally knew five people <laughs> because it had just morphed and people had told people had told people had told people and it just grown and grown and grown. And so I've been really fortunate from that perspective. We all have really to be, uh, to have the networking community that we've built, but like everyone else has benefited from that too. And I think that's where everyone really, um, enjoys what they really enjoy about what we're doing is that it's just really, really, really good people. There's so, there's a lot more that I could talk to you about, but let's end it with what is the big, goal now that you've seen seven years of like this yeah crazy thing that you didn't even think you were starting yeah what's the goal with whiskey wiseman moving forward now it's funny we actually are just 
kind of doing a, a, an analysis about exactly that now because um, we have gone for a little while with just kind of um, taking, you know, a next little step, like, okay, starting a golf tournament. Okay. Starting mm -hmm. this. Okay. Doing that. But now we're like, okay, how do we, the time's now to like blow this up or we can keep going and we can pat ourselves on the back and say, this is great. And everyone's having a good time and whatever, but how do we actually go that? So we're actually having those conversations now and in a couple of ways that we're talking about doing that are, um, in really unique ways. So one of them is, um, we're actually, um, going to be um, working with an investment company that's actually going to be giving us some funding to support a few really interesting uh, product ideas we have. And one of them uh, that's coming up is a, is a subscription box. So um, that's a super good idea. Yeah. Like that. And so, but what we're, what we're going for is like a really premium uh, subscription box and something that you'd want to gift. So something, think about your best buddy's turning 30 or it's his wedding or it's for your dad's 60th birthday or something. Right. I'm turning 30 next month. There you Carl. go. <laughs> something that's not just like a cheap tie and some socks or whatever. It's something that is going to be for a whiskey enthusiastic for sure, but something we're working with brands to help develop something that um, we want exclusive products from distilleries and brands to include in them. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be just like this expertly crafted box that you're going to have options to um, almost like okay, there's 20 products and for 200 bucks, you can put five products in it. Like, what do you want? Okay. I want that bottle. I want these, whatever cufflinks. Like, I don't know we're, we haven't even sussed out everything, but that's one project that we're working on. Again, where proceeds are going to be kicked back to the society to increase our charitable donations. And the second really cool project is something that we're working on with one of our co-founders, Nick, um, who's now based in LA. And he's actually starting a beverage company. And his first beverage is going to be um, whiskey in a can. So you know how you have like the nudes, like yeah, the vodka, yeah, yeah. those are like blown up and the hay y'alls and all that. So picture a premium scotch beverage mixed with like ginger or cola with lime in a can but like it's going to taste amazing and it's going to be premium so he's starting that again he's going to be licensing the whiskey wiseman brand and he's going to be providing the company is going to give royalties to the whiskey wiseman in order to again support our initiatives but also really to give back to charity so those are two really interesting things that kind of are in development that i wanted to share and those that's the type of direction that that we're taking this in because we have the community we have the backing we've developed the brand in the marketplace um, so in addition to our events we're now going to supplement that with a few actual uh, products and services that we're going to take to the market so again nothing that we thought about seven years ago or even <laughs> a year ago to say you didn't hey, think about whiskey in a can seven years ago no but nick <laughs> has and he's thought about it for a while and and, and he's gone and he's actually identified partners to start that business but again he's always tying things back to, to the whiskey wiseman society so we're going to benefit from from his, his efforts but we're also going to support that initiative so he has an instagram going uh it's called in a can co he's actually in addition to that we'll do like gin and other uh products ready ready to drink products um i was talking to him today i told him i was going to give him a little plug on the podcast <laughs> shout out to nick but um those those are just some cool things that we're doing but we're also uh huddling currently to really actually strategically uh start to plan what the next few years look like because we hadn't really done that before right and now i think we're at a point where we're like 
this isn't going away. You know, we we have a really cool platform and community that we can leverage to do good. Uh, and that's really our, our MO is do good and be better, either by uh, education of whiskey, um, by providing opportunities uh, in the community to give back to charity or, or other means. That's what the ethos is of what we're trying to build. And so how do we take that to the next level? So TBD, I guess, to be continued, uh, maybe for a podcast down the road, if I get invited back, 100%. I can share some, uh, some more developments, but it's a really exciting project. If you'd like to get involved, please, uh, let me know. So likewise, uh, how can people uh, find you if they want to register for the golf tournament or they want to learn more about whiskey and come to your Thursday night? Yeah, whiskeywiseman.com. Whiskey, no E. Uh, we spelt it the Canadian and the Scottish way, uh, not the American and the and the Irish way. So whiskeywiseman.com. Everything's up on there. It's We have the, ch- the chapters that we're in. So if you're listening from uh, Calgary or the Cayman Islands or Miami, uh, you can participate uh, as well in local events there. Um, we have information about our golf tournament, about our cl- membership club that we have on there, and any other exciting news. Uh, we have all of the board members' bios on there, so you can get to know us a little bit better. But you can reach out that way um, as well, or you can reach out to our CEO directly if you want, uh, Leslie at whiskeywiseman.com, and she'll uh, happily uh, talk to you about any and all opportunities uh, that exist with the Whiskey Wise. Beautiful. Yeah. <clears throat> That was a lot of fun, man. Thanks for coming. Hey, out. this was awesome, man. This was a great first way to uh, experience a podcast. I really uh, let me be the first really to say it. I foresee a Whiskey Wiseman podcast coming up in the future. Ooh, nice. That's a good idea. All things whiskey yeah. and charity. Nice. Love I'd it. have to steal this guy from you to get some. Hundred <laughs> percent. He's ready to rock. Audio. Oh, yeah. Let's yeah. do another one. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I think the sky's the limit. To be honest, and it's it's really just like our bandwidth to be able to just take on these okay. types of things to do but you know we've always said our goal is as the founders is to be able to quit our job one day and be able to be supported by the organization and to really have this thing be uh be a global enterprise that can do this you know like we one of our one of our uh model organizations is movember They've done really amazing things. It's two guys that were in Australia and they started growing mustaches for mm-hmm. men's health because one of them or both had experienced uh, trauma relating to prostate cancer. And look at Movember. Uh, and then another organization that we uh, that we follow is um, is Me to We, uh, which are t- two brothers again that started uh, Free the Children when they were in elementary school, I think. And now they started Me to We. And I don't know if you're familiar with anything that that organization no, does, no. but it's it's an unbelievable organization that helps um, children-based causes in third world countries. But what the community that they've created uh, and the events that they host globally are second to none like kevin and i had been to a few because um the company that we had worked for actually sponsored that organization so we'd gone to a few events and it's uh this massive day long uh it's called me to we day and it's a and they, they buy out rogers arena they host it in the arena and they get bands and like shaquille o'neal has spoke there um who's the guy uh the the guy who did uh i forget anyways crazy speakers that come and 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 speak at these events and it's all kids and you actually have to do events and do charitable things and raise money in your school and in your community to get 
invited to come to the event it's free that they put on for kids and it's like a giant pep rally to encourage kids to like give back help charity do all these amazing things in their community and so they're one of our like role models that we kind of like are aspiring to uh when we think of the whiskey wiseman and the kind of where we can we can take things that's awesome man i love what you're doing thank you and i'm going to register for the golf tournament please yeah yeah, yeah. Lucas is on my, uh, he's on my force. I, I tried so. to recruit him. He said, no. Yeah. That's he said, okay. you're much cooler than we, I we am. Have so. a, we had a pretty, <laughs> we got a pretty good force. We finished, uh, in the top 10, at least anyways, the last two years. What score wins a tournament? Cause that's the last depend two, on who I recruit the for last team. two, <laughs> it's been aggressive. The last two have been, uh, I think it was minus 18 and then minus 17 or minus 16. But again, mulligans and uh, you get to, um, there's multiple opportunities on the course where you, we had, we've had like long drive champions and you pay, you donate 50 bucks and you use their drive. And yeah. on one of the holes, we have a, like a potato gun launcher <laughs> and you pay, 50, yeah, you pay 50 bucks <laughs> and it's like an air cannon and shoots the ball 400 yards on a par five. So you get, to, so there's opportunities to reduce your score on the course and then there's also mulligans and, and other things that you can buy and again it all raises money for charity so um that would be fantastic we'd love to to have you out there and it's uh this year it's at westwood plateau uh on july 5th so it used to be we used to have it at ubc we changed it this year change the scenery and we moved the date from a thursday to a friday because whiskey wiseman uh charity golf tournament you can probably guess uh you know how that goes so. <laughs> it's pretty messy <laughs> yeah it's it's a good time it's a good time there's probably not any ballantines there definitely not no 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 no, no. <laughs> sorry for maybe just in pe- maybe just way. in people's uh golf bags maybe that's <laughs> yeah, maybe. so okay thanks again for coming on man Cheers, that was awesome. awesome thank you hit up whiskeywiseman.com if you want to beat me or jordan in a golf tournament later in the summer in july july 5th yeah july. beautiful as always, guys, I'd love to hear your feedback. Hit me up on Instagram, Denny.Duma. Good night.